Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. church by giving online at arborbridgechurch.com forward slash give. And then you can also give by mailing, um, mailing your, your check via snail mail to uh, 2500 South Main Street um, in Ann Arbor. Uh, and then if you're in person, uh, there's a little box out there on your way out that's for uh, tithes and offerings that you can, you can put your, uh, your, your investment in. So uh, I, I pray that you've been preparing your hearts for Easter, which is next Sunday, uh, April 4th. I wanted to bring up one additional way that you can prepare for Easter. Um, on a Friday, April 2nd, um, we're going to be hosting a Good Friday service here at the building um, uh, at 6.30. And it's an event that, that will be uh, co-hosted by a church who, uh, who's been meeting here on Sunday, uh, on Sunday evenings um, called Treasuring Christ Church. Um, Good Friday is also known as Holy Friday. Um, it's a Friday immediately preceding um, Easter Sunday. And it's, it's, uh, it's traditionally celebrated as the day that Jesus was crucified, which Jesus' crucifixion feels like bad news, but the, the results of his, of his crucifixion is, is good news. That's what we call it, Good Friday. Um, good Friday sets you up for, for Easter Sunday in, in this way. Like if, if, if somebody walked in and everyone started clapping because they were walking, you would think that was weird because all they're doing is walking. But if you knew that that person had been in a car accident and you know, it was really terrible and they had to fight to be able to walk again, then you would be in on it. You'd be like, yes, this is, this is awesome. This is a great thing that they can walk again. Celebrating and remembering or thinking on the, the, the crucifixion of Christ makes it all the more exciting when he is risen from the dead when we celebrate that. So love for you to be there on, um, on Friday, April 2nd. Um, we're asking people to sign up for this event at arborbridgechurch.com forward slash Good Friday. Um, it, it'll be a way for you to um, sign up. And, and since it's both of our groups coming together, uh, it'll, it'll be a way for us to, uh, to keep track of who's coming and not let it be too, too big, etc. So um, by worship with, worshiping with us on Good Friday, we hope that you'll be prepared to better celebrate Christ on Sunday. Um, so I wanted to bring up to you on Easter Sunday, uh, the leadership has decided to allow for masked um, low power singing. Um, so yeah, it's going to be exciting. We want you to be a part of that. Uh, we wanted to bring it up to you ahead of time so it didn't come as a, as a surprise to you. Um, you could decide whether or not you, know, you felt comfortable doing that. Uh, so there will be some singing on Easter Sunday, and that will be exciting for us since we haven't been able to do that together. And then I should also mention on Good Friday, uh, there will be some singing. So uh, before, I, before I go further in our worship service, let me, let me just pray, and then uh, I'll share, some, share a few thoughts with you before we led, led through some songs. Um, dear Father, uh, <clears throat> I pray that this worship service we, uh, we would truly worship you. Um, that we wouldn't sit in this room together on a Sunday morning from whatever 10.30 to 11.30 just because we, you know, we've done it before or it's our tradition, but that we've come to worship you. I pray that that would happen this morning. And it goes a lot, lot better when you, uh, when you show up. We pray that uh, 
you would put us in our, put our hearts in the right position for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, many of you guys know that uh, today begins uh, what, what many Christians celebrate. It's Holy Week um, and Palm Sunday um, today specifically. Uh, so, so many Christians celebrate, you know, all over the world celebrate this day as the day that Jesus uh, and Jesus' life where he, he acquired a, a new donkey that had never been ridden before and he rides that into Jerusalem. And so this was a really big deal uh, and, and he, he did it because... Um, he was making a public, public claim to who he was. He was saying, this is who I am. This is, this is, this. So 2000 years ago, every good Jewish person would have known a prophecy um, from the, from the first half of the Bible or the old Testament. And uh, it, it said this, it said this, it said city of Zion, be full of joy. People of Jerusalem shout, see your King comes to you. He always does what is right. He has won the victory. He is humble and riding on a donkey. He is sitting on a donkey's colt. This is hundreds of years before Jesus shows up that this is written. So by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey in front of everyone, Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I'm this guy that you, you, you read about, you memorize this, you think about this. I'm that guy. This is, it's, it's me. I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. Um, I'm the one that you've been expecting. And, and so just, just a few days before this verse, um, before, before Jesus arrives into, into Jerusalem, he raises a guy from the dead and not not like all the, all the, all the times were before where Jesus had risen some, raised somebody from the dead. Um, he raised, he raised them from the dead relatively close to when they died. So, you know, a few hours. And so, but this, this time he waited three days and then raised this guy from the dead. So it was very, very clear. Nah, this guy, I mean, you know, before they were like, maybe he was just a little sick or maybe he was mostly dead, but clearly this guy is dead and Jesus brings him back to life. And so Everyone is talking about it and super excited about, about Jesus. So when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem riding on this donkey, people lose their minds. They do something, do something that's interesting that I want to share with you. He says this, a very large crowd spread their coats on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And some of, some of the people ahead, went ahead of him and some followed and they all shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Um, laying down your coat was a way, laying down your coat on the, on the ground was a way of honoring the person who was doing the walking. It's like rolling out the red carpet. Or like before a wedding, when they when they roll out uh, they roll out that that lace white thing that that the the bride walks on. Um, it's a way of saying this person is someone special, someone great. It's a way of saying of honoring Christ and saying you're worthy to be our king. We accept your kingship over us. Only you can save us. Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save us. So they're all going around. Hosanna, Jesus, save us. They're worshiping Jesus. We've talked before in our church family that worship is when we lower ourselves, is lower ourselves and we elevate the Lord. We elevate Christ um, in our hearts. He must increase. And we must decrease. 
Today, I want to spend some time worshiping the Lord. Certainly, we, we want to do that every week. Um, today, I want, to, I want to ask, invite you into it in a special way. I want us to roll out the red carpet for Christ into your hearts. Um, I want to spend some time elevating him and lowering ourselves. And clearly Christ isn't here for us to lay down our coats for or roll out the carpet for in person physically. I don't want that to stop us from worshiping him. One of the ways that I've talked about in this series about us worshiping Christ is, is confession. And I pray that you've taken time, um, and I say this often, but it's important. I pray that you take time to do what I ask you to do in, in these messages or in these services. Uh, I pray that you've taken time to, to, to practice the discipline of confession. Um, and, and, he, and here's why. Here's why. If you don't practice confession, it's a sin. And I don't want that for your life. Also, it prepares you for Jesus' arrival into areas of your life that might be that you might keep off limits from him normally. So I want to give you some time to practice confession now. And um, Chris is going to give you a few moments to confess your sins to the Lord in just a few moments. But I wanted to share my confession to get you started give you an idea of, of how it might work. Um, I've shared some of these ideas with you guys before, but the Lord, um, as I practice this during this series, I've, the Lord's been doing some work in me <clears throat> and uh, hopefully uh, it'll help you. So recently my wife picked up, picked on, the, picked up on the fact that I've, I've seemed angry a lot. And when you're angry, it's hard to keep yourself in check. If you're like me, maybe you're not. Um, but I would take my anger out on my family. So I started to think about what am I so angry about? And I didn't really know, but I, I began to give space for the Lord to speak. And I was just quiet. And when, so when I say that in pastoral, sometimes when you say, I, I want the Lord to speak to me. That sounds really spiritual. But what I just mean by that is I just, I created some time and I just tried to sit and think. Um, and here's what I found. I found that I idolize success. Um, I make success an idol. I mean, in pastor world, what that means is, you know, you got the biggest church and a ton of people and et cetera. And clearly that's not us. So the Lord was showing me that I, I think that the Lord was showing me that um, I was angry about that, kind of humiliated that I felt like I was, I was failing publicly for everyone to see. Um, and, and Montina helped me think more. My wife helped me think more about that, um, my idolization of success. And I think that it's my fear of public failure that leads me to idolize and trust in success. Um, and it's a sin, it's a sin. And when you have a sin that's kind of like your core like that, it mushrooms into other things. Uh, that's how sin works. Sometimes, you know, because when you first start interacting with sin, you think you can keep it here, but it, it never does. So for me, this is, this is kind of how it mushrooms out. Um, jealousy and envy. Um, I envy other people who I see are successful. Um, worry. Uh, I worry about other people, what, how other people are going to think of me when I, when I feel like I'm failing in front of them. I'm lying. If I think the whole truth will make me look bad, then I hold it back. 
um, being controlling. Um, I, I think if I can control things and situations and people, then, then I can be successful. Um, being unwilling to share Christ. Uh, it, it causes, if, if I'm afraid that people will reject me then, and I'll fail, then I, I just won't do it. Um, anger and rage. And when things don't go my way or I can't control people or get them to cooperate with my plans of self-righteousness, um, I think that I'm good enough. I, I, I do all the work, so I deserve to be successful. Um, objectifying people. Uh, I, I want them to fit. I want people to fit into my plan. Um, selfish ambition. I'm super strong desire to achieve for my own glory. And many of you guys, those you guys in my church family, you, you felt the effects of, of my fear of failure and my idolizing of success. And so all I can say to that is I'm very, very sorry. With the help of Christ, I want to build my life on Christ instead of my ideas of what I think success is. So with his help, I'm gonna put my trust in Christ alone. He's the firm foundation. And I hope, I hope, I hope that by me going first, my transparency will help you roll out the red carpet for Christ in your life. Jesus, save us. Spend some time, spend some few moments in confession. Let's pray together and then I'll turn it over to Chris. Dear Father, help us, help us know what we idolize. Help us know uh, our sins so that we can confess them. And then you can respond and save us, helping us to build our life on you alone. Amen. So I'm kind of sit for a moment. Um, as a pastor and as a friend, um, Daryl and I have had a lot of great talks about the idolization of success um, in my life as well. For anyone who's about my age, like kind of in the, I don't know what generation I am, like a millennial or something like that, um, who still wears skinny jeans, um, for us, a lot of times, a lot of us, especially those of us who are creatives or things, people that make stuff, um, can be very easy to be stuck on our personal brand. Uh, for me, a lot of life is a numbers game, and if I'm not getting attention, there's this little freak out, this grabbing of my phone, and I'll forget the actual enjoyment of connection of making art so this applies not just to artists of course but I think that there's a lot of pressure now to be very individualistic very inward turned and I'm seeing that a lot especially in my generation and in the generation coming after me 
when I was growing up and learning about the Ten Commandments and uh, false gods, I was like, oh, that part's easy because we're monotheistic. There's no other options. And uh, the Bible's full of stories like people doing absurd things like forging golden calves. And I was like, well, I have managed to not forge any golden calves today. I'm good. And as I'm older, I'm seeing that things like, like Daryl said, things like the addiction to success can be an idol. Um, Ideology can be an idol. My belief that I have access to the truth and I'm smarter than those around me can be an idol. My uh, follower count, for those of us that are young, can be an idol. My, uh, any hill that I'm willing to die on that's my ideas can be an idol. So I would invite us all to reflect, what do I latch on to? What do I hold on to with rigidity that doesn't belong or that needs to be made smaller? those things and confess them silently, let's just take a second to ask ourselves, what does it look like to hold those things more loosely and to build a life on just Christ? What does that look like? What's step one? What's step two? Let's just take a couple seconds to think about what that looks like for our life, whether that's how we interact with ourselves, um, our community, or just even with our spouses and our bosses, just the the day-to-day interactions where we can be putting ourselves in third place as we've talked about as a community. Wonderful. Now that we've done that, I'm going to just invite us to reflect on the words to build my life, which we sang together a few times. Let's just really let the words sink in as we reflect on what we're confessing and the false idols that we are tearing down. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you
on uh, building our lives upon Christ, we're going to sing, um, I mean, Johannes and I are going to sing The Solid Rock, um, which is in many ways sort of like the several hundred years old version of the song we just sang. Um, I think Daryl said this already, but this, uh, this week sort of leading up to Easter um, uh, is in some traditions called Holy Week. We have um, Palm Sunday uh, today, and then we celebrate Good Friday. And um, for myself, this this might be a little bit odd and morbid, but this is actually in many ways my favorite week of the calendar. 
um, in terms of uh, being involved in a faith community. I love Holy Week. I love the the drama of it and sort of this way of commemorating all these really intense things that happened. And um, not like I, I love, you know, reliving the death of God, you know, but I love that um, this week means something huge. It means, um, Daryl talks a lot about the God of hugs and kisses, which I think is, is really funny. But I think that uh, I like seeing uh, God get his hands dirty and get messy and um, get involved with flesh and blood. And I think this is the most visceral time when that happens. And um, so um, some people can think and tune their guitars at the same time. I'm not one of them. Just pausing. Um, And so I I love this whole week. I love how, um, you know, just commemorating how weird it would have been to be one of his followers because no one quite knew what he had up his sleeve. He knew what he was doing, but they're all just confused and trying not to get arrested. And um, so this is a time of like of joy and celebration, but also sort of a time of, like Daryl said, of confession and reflection and looking at um, brokennesses in our lives. And so um, it's a, it's just a wonderful week. And so I hope that those of you that are here will also be able to join us on Friday and kind of keep this um, this reflection going because Good Friday is uh, sort of a time where we take all these themes and then just ramp them up to 11. So uh, with that being said, we'll, we'll sing the solid rock for you.
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. Clothed in his righteousness alone, redeemed to stand before the throne. On Christ's I love that hymn. I don't know what you were seeing in your head while we sang it, but um, who who's in the room with me has been to Lake Michigan? Okay. A couple of people didn't raise their hands. Why do you live here? Um, so uh, it's, the, it's a beach. It's basically the sea. And um, if you've been there a decade ago and then been there again this year, you'll notice uh, the water's rising. The beaches don't look the same. And what's fascinating to me is that people are still building beach houses out there. And people are, people's beach houses are getting flooded, man. And so when I, I, when we were seeing the hymn, I just thought of, um, what a bummer it would be if I had a beach house in Michigan. And I'm pretty sure that that's what the parable is about. Like, hey, you can go build a sweet beach house on Lake Michigan, but I mean, that's fine. It might not be there for very long. Um. I just, that image became, that parable became very visceral to me uh, in my last beach walk. So maybe that does something for you. Um, If we could go ahead and um, uh, reflect together, I'm going to read us a scripture passage really quick. Um, I'm going to read us, and if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, it's Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Otherwise, we can look at the screens and I will read this to us. Um, And then we'll reflect a bit on the next song that we're going to sing before we get ready to hear the message today. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. uh, When Jesus enters enters Jerusalem, people are amped. 
super excited, so excited to, to welcome him. Uh, and they worshiped him as their king. And Jesus didn't stop him from doing so, which I always think that's really interesting when people say, people, sometimes people talk about or who are skeptical about Jesus, say Jesus never said that he was God. But all throughout the, the gospels, you see things like this happen. People who are responsible or not are good teachers. If someone starts worshiping them, they say, whoa, whoa, I'm not God. But when Jesus is worshiped, he doesn't stop them. They say Hosanna, right? Which means save us. And so they were saying, Jesus, save us. Unfortunately, the people who, who were worshiping Jesus, um, they, they didn't want, recognize him as a, as a savior, uh, somebody who's going to save them from their sin. Uh, they welcomed them and worshiped him because they thought that Jesus was going to save them from the Romans, their, their rulers at the time. And when Jesus didn't give them what they wanted, um, they quickly turned on him. And that kind, of, that kind of thing happens a lot when people idolize success or their idea of what success is, a man-made definition of success. That, that's the kind of thing that happens to me when I worship Jesus until he doesn't do what I expect him to do or do what I think he should. I get angry at him. But the people in Jerusalem had this vision of what they thought Jesus would be or what he would do. They had this, this, this daydream of what they thought it would be like, this vision of what they thought it would, it would you know, he was, he was there to do. And Jesus was coming and saying, I'm here to give you me. I'm here to save you from you. Jesus was saying, I want to be your vision, your daydream, the thing that you think about I want to be that. I want to be the thing that you achieve. I want to be your goal. So the next song they're going to, they're going to do is called Be Thou My Vision. And so it's, it's a prayer. It's a prayer to be the thing, for Jesus to be the thing that we desire most. And so I, I, want, to, I want to share a few words of, of it before, before, we, uh, before we go through it. So the first verse says this. It says, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art Thou, thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. I think it's saying this. He's saying, Jesus, you be my dream come true. You be the Lord of my heart. Everything, everything else means nothing to me except for you. It, you're the best thing I think about. You're, the be, you're my best daydream. Whether I'm awake or whether I'm asleep, whether it's day or whether it's night, you being with me is the thing that brings me to life. Third verse, listen to this. It says, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only put first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. I don't need to be successful here on earth. I don't need to be successful according to what other people think. My success is obeying your commands. My success is doing what you say. My success is fulfilling what you ask me to do. You are my treasure. And then this bridge. Oh God, be my everything, be my delight. Be Jesus, my glory, my soul satisfied. This is asking God to make, to make true in our hearts what we cannot make. This is asking God to do in our hearts what we cannot do. God, by your Holy Spirit, make everything that I care about come down to you. Be my delight. I, I love the word Chris gives you as visceral. I love that word, which means something that you can't like manufacture. It's, it's emotional. It happens without you thinking about it. The word delight, so such a great word. 
And most of us never, never, ever get there in regards to our relationship with God. God's never our delight. We do what he says, we might come to church, but he is never our delight. The thing that we delight in, we don't get giddy about him. Um, this is a prayer asking for that, asking for the Holy Spirit to do that because you, know, you can't do it on your own. When, when, when Jesus rode into town on that donkey and the people were seeing him, they were giddy. And it's not because, not because Jesus is who we know him to be, it's because they thought he was going to save them from the things they wanted to be saved from. They didn't have a picture of Jesus of who he was. And in 2021, we might have a better vision of who we think Jesus is, but this song, this song, this prayer invites us for him to be more than, than we can imagine. So pray silently along with these guys as, as they sing it, that Jesus would become your delight. me mm-hmm. 
up to give us a couple words about communion. On stage. It's a tough act to follow. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, I was actually going to start with a prayer, um, so if you guys don't mind, bow your heads. Dear Lord, um, I just ask that at this time in the world, uh, maybe in our history, um, particularly in, I mean, it's all, it's all over. I, I ask that you would be with the church. Um, I ask that you would be with the body of believers. Um, and I ask that you would, uh, I guess, be our vision um, 
on what it is that we should do, on, on how we can serve you, um, on how we can give up our lives, our blood um, for your body, that we might uh, better unite the world, Lord, with you um, and better unite each other um, to you. Uh, I just pray that you would, would be with all of us and, and help us to do that, Lord. Uh, it's in your son's name that I pray these things. Amen. Um, so if you guys hear some weird sounds coming from that side of the church over there, I told Michael that he could be as loud as he wants since Elena talked through his whole communion speech. So um, if you hear him making weird sounds, um, that's why. Um, I debated whether or not I should say any of the things that I'm saying. Um, but since we're talking about idols, um, I thought all of it was relevant. Um, so it's always good to start off a conversation when you're talking about idols with politics and things that are really controversial. But um, during the last election cycle, uh, I don't know if many of you watched the presidential debates. Um, they were pretty <laughs> ridiculous. I don't even know what word to use. Um, but the first one in particular, there was something that was said by both of the candidates, Trump and Biden, um, that I don't think I'll ever forget. I thought it was a, a moment where they characterized something that was uh, indicative of two polarizing ideologies or political factions. Um, they were talking about COVID and the response to it, and Trump said, people want to get back to their lives. Biden's response is, people want to be safe. Um, and I thought that that was two very interesting viewpoints, but two really good summaries of things that I think are very predominant in our lives and two things that have become idols. Um, we have a group of people who have idolized the freedoms that come with living in the West or living in the United States. And then there's people who idolize the, the luxury or the safety that we have here as well, um, particularly in the generation that we're living in. And I, I just thought about those things and they seemed, you know, things that I struggle with myself and I think that we all struggle with in our, our time right now is how do we deal with those. And as with anything, um, I think Christ offers an answer to those things. Um, and really when I think about those two things, they're, they're really two sides of the same coin. It's, it's freedom to live and freedom from death. Um, and this, this is what Christ offers and in John 3.16, which I think we all know is that um, God sent his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. They'll be given life beyond this one. It's an ultimate safety. Um, in Galatians, Paul says that we were set free by Christ for freedom. Um, it was freedom of, of rules, of the circumcision, of the legalism that, that the Jews had. And ultimately, this is what communion is about. It's a remembrance of those things. It's the, the, the life that Christ give, lived to give up his blood to save us from the slavery of sin and death, um, to, to create a body or a united group of people under him. And he, and he lived his life ultimately to, to do those things. He lived that perfect life to, to unite a peoples under him. But I think there's another aspect of communion that's, that's part of the, the commission aspect. So it's a commission for us to carry out that work that Christ did um, to create a community and to serve a community that is ultimately his church. And so that's what I wanted to, to, to press us on today. Is, is Daryl read that, that letter from one of the members of our church, and he obviously didn't say who. Um, but there's somebody out there who's crying for 
for more community. There's, there's teenagers out here in Michigan that you hear about who have committed suicide because they, they saw no other option in the world as it exists today. Um, there's other people who haven't showed up today because they don't agree with what we're doing, um, the actions that we're taking to be safe. Um, there's other people who are too afraid to show up because they don't want to get sick and die or they don't want to get sick and infect other people. Um, there's certainly a degree of, of respect with it. But it's, it's what do we do with this? What do we do with the freedom that we have, the ultimate freedom that we've been given by Christ? And what do we sacrifice? Um, Christ ultimately gave up safety in heaven, one that we would never know, to come down and sacrifice for us. So I want to quote something. Um, it's a paraphrase, um, but I'll just read through it and then I'll, I'll be done. One day some great opportunity will stand before you and call upon you to stand up for some great issue, some great cause. And you'll refuse to do it because you're afraid. You'll refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid you'll be criticized or that you'll lose popularity. Or you're afraid you'll get sick with COVID and die. Or you'll lose your comfort. Or perhaps you'll offend someone. As you refuse to take your stand, you may well go on to live until you are 90. But you are just a de- as dead as you, and now as you would be. And the sensation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an early death of the spirit. You died when you refused to take a stand for what is right. You died when you refused to take a stand for what is true. You died when you refused to express your faith through love for Christ's church. Thank you.
So uh, when, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people who elevated him and lord themselves uh, turn on him when they find out he has no intent of fulfilling their dreams, they, they hail them with hosannas and their coats on the ground and, and worship him. Uh, and they turn on him. Um, when he failed them, when he refused to lead people in a revolt against the Romans, when, within a few days their hosannas turn into crucify him. And they wanted success on their terms. And they didn't get it. They got angry. And they were willing to crucify a person. They wanted to have Jesus crucified. A little more than seven weeks after that moment, these people who participated in Jesus' crucifixion, um, many of those people are present when one of Jesus' closest followers has an opportunity to speak to them, say something to them. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. Be sure of this, all you people of Israel. You nailed Jesus to the cross. But God has made him both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, it had a deep effect on them. And they said, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? What response would you, would you expect a father to have toward you if you took part in murdering his son seven weeks ago? If you had to picture it, what would that look like? How would that father respond if you were confronted by what you've done and you knew, you knew, you knew you were guilty? You knew you had done wrong and, and you're, 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 you're confronted with all how evil you've been and you ask the father, you said, you said I know, I, I, I know I did it. What should I do? What should I do? What would his response look like? What would that response look like? If you were watching a movie of it, what would that picture look like? As we're preparing to, to end today, I, I want to share with you one idea of what, what, a, what, a, what the father's response would look like. Our father, the father of Jesus Christ. I'm going to share a picture with you to dwell on and let that picture represent the father's response to you when he finds that you've taken part in murdering his son. But when you're confronted by it, you confess, you cop to, you confess and you admit you need help being a person of character and value. And you cry out to the father, what, what should I do? 
I did it. What should I do? This picture is a response to that question. I'll let you think on it for a moment. And then my daughter, Silver, will share some thoughts, her thoughts on it and close this out. Father, what should I do? Here's your answer. this picture and I think of if I murdered or if I took part in helping murder a man's son my immediate expectation of him would be that he would attack me um I get pretty aggressive if anyone says anything hurtful to my dad um and I know that um Losing a child can be something that a parent never heals from. But when I see this picture, I, um, I see a boy who's been released from a detrimental pressure. I see a boy who has been released from... Sorry. When the father hugs the, the son, I, I can see the boy bursting out into sobs of relief. When he comes to the father, he's at the end of himself. He's naked, he's cold, and in our case, he's filled with guilt of a devastating betrayal. But he's received with more than he could ever hope to get. Love and forgiveness. So I'm going to pray and then our service will be over. And I want to pray um, for a prayer request that we received from David Weatherly's father, for David Weatherly's father, who's been in the hospital for over a month. So let's pray. Dear Father, we want to commit to coming back to you. Please make us aware of your forgiveness and love that are open to us if we just take it no matter what we've done or who we've been. Let us come confess in your presence. I want to to pray for the Weatherlies, 
that you would watch over David's father and that you would bring your peace that passes understanding to all those involved. Thank you for all that you've gifted us. And in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.